again to the book of Ephesians. Uh, We are beginning chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians. I don't know about you guys, but I'm being blessed as we go through this book. Uh, Just about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church. Uh, How do we live a Christian life? Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be getting into the nitty gritty about the mystery of the church. We've talked about it before, and he's going to finally give us the purpose. Why do we have this mystery of the church? He'll explain a little bit uh, for those who have not been with us what that mystery is. But Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, we will read, and then we will pray, and then we will study it together. Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men to other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rules, uh, rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. God, we do thank you once again. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful and you have preserved your word uh, thousands of years after Paul wrote it. We can read it in our own language. We can understand it. And Lord, we can apply it to our lives. We pray that you'd be working in this congregation as we hear your word, as we study it, that you would use your Holy Spirit to convict us where we need to be convicted, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and to change us where we need to be changed. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 2016 has kind of been a rough year, hasn't it? As we look around the world and things that have happened this year, uh, there have been some pretty horrible things. There is a lot of conflict out there in the world. There's a lot of hate. Uh, There is disunity all over the place. You know, as... As an American, I watch Tuesday night, and you know we, we kind of smile. We've been joking about it for so long, but as the results came in from the election, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say it was depressing. Um, regardless of however it would have come out on Tuesday night, a, a corrupt, evil person was 
made the president of the United States. I know, pastor talking about politics, not, not very fun. All right, But regardless of whoever would have been elected in that election, all the way down the list, uh, whether it's uh, racism and sexism and misogyny and uh, just hate, or if it's killing of infants, of uh, abortion and promoting that, it was wicked. And I have to say, it was, it was depressing to, to see that. And to, to look at what it has done, this level of hate, even in that election and up here as well. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But uh, the hate between these two candidates and others as well, uh, it, it created a culture where now it is okay. I don't know if you've uh, been paying attention to maybe your social media or Facebook or Twitter uh, or even just reading and watching the news. Uh, but so much hate has been done this past week. Uh, and I don't think that is anything uh, from the candidates, uh, but they have created that culture of hatred. And so now people are coming out of the woodwork and doing all kinds of things. They're putting uh, swastikas on churches and burning them down. They're, they're saying, hey, you need to get out of this country or, uh, you know, whatever. And we might look at that and say, oh, that's, that's the states. They have their own problems. And, you know, in some parts that's true. Uh, that that level of hate, we see it up here as well. Uh, if we want to get real uh, touchy about it and go real deep with it, um, how we talk about First Nations people, I've been listening. I've been listening in the last couple months about how we talk about First Nations people here in Saskatoon. It's not right. All right, that we see that level of hate here as well. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? How, we, how, do we, how do we fight that? Well, the, the answer is the church. You know, they see all these people, all these pundits. Uh, I watched on Tuesday night, late into the night, early into the morning, of people talking about what they can do to bring this country together, or at least the states together. Uh, and they have all these different ideas of policies and different programs that they can do. But those aren't going to work. Not really. They might put a little Band-Aid on it. Uh, just like the Civil War did. <laughs> All right, uh, we put a little band-aid on it, but those hurts are still there. Why? Because those hurts, that hate, all those things are not just physical problems. They're spiritual problems. The hate, the conflict that we see even in our country here in Canada. How do we fix those things? Well, you can't do them with physical means. You can't do that with man's wisdom. Because it is man's wisdom to actually do those things, to separate so how do you bring them together? The answer is the church. And we're going to see that clearly laid out. Uh, I've been blessed as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, as, as we're going through this book, I did not plan it this way. All right, I've had to change a few things about my sermon schedule. And uh, so I did not plan to be preaching on this passage this morning. And honestly, when I prepared it, I thought we were going to be talking about humility, and we will. Uh, but as I studied this passage, it became very clear that the theme of this passage is not just humility, but it's diversity and the importance of it, which I think is a very apt subject for even us today. All right, so as we study this passage, let's have that in the back of our minds. So Ephesians chapter 3. 
Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Uh, what is he talking about? Uh, for this reason. Uh, he's talking about all the things that he had previously discussed. Uh, that uh, he, the, the total depravity that is within us, the sinful nature that is within us, the, the way that Jesus had to come down, die on the cross to give us the faith, to give us the grace needed for us to be saved. All those things. For that reason, I, Paul, Paul's a writer here, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Uh, we talked about this in our introduction. Uh, when we, we began this study of where Paul was writing this from. He was writing it from a prison in Rome. He was imprisoned. He was uh, you know, under real persecution. All right? He was held up, chained even. Uh, other places, uh, he talks just about uh, even the, the conflicts that he went through, getting whipped, all those things Paul has gone through. And now he is imprisoned in Rome. He is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. For Christ Jesus. That's what he went through. For Christ. Not, not because of anything he wanted to do. Not to get famous. Not to uh, prove a political point. He went through all this persecution. Is now imprisoned in Rome. For Christ Jesus. And he says, on behalf. On behalf of you. The Gentiles. The Ephesian believers. So he's imprisoned for Christ Jesus. But it's on behalf of the Gentiles. Now, uh, you might read that and say, wow, you know, Paul's being pretty testy here. Uh, he's blaming the Gentiles for what he's going through. That, that's not what he's saying. He's not blaming, uh, but he's remembering Jesus' words uh, to him in Acts chapter 22 and 23 when Jesus said he will send Paul far away, far away to the Gentiles. And later in chapter 23, he says that he would testify that Paul would testify of Christ in Rome. Um, in other words, to the emperor. All right, Paul was given a great opportunity through his persecution to go to the most powerful person on the planet at this time and tell him the gospel. All right, and why, why was he doing this? On behalf of you, the Gentiles. Uh, the reason why this is important is going back to that idea of the mystery. All right, what is that mystery? He's going to explain it for us. Uh, it's for the good of the Gentiles so they could hear the gospel and see that wall of hostility that we talked about last week uh, of the last chapter being abolished by Christ. And he says this is um, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. God entrusted something to Paul. He was the steward or administrator of a certain trust from God. What did God entrust to Paul? What did he give him? What is that, that, that grace that he's talking about? All right, when he talks about the stewardship of grace, it's not that he was the steward of grace, but the thing that he was the steward of was God's grace shown to him. Something that he didn't deserve, but God gave it to him. Alright, so what was that? Well, it's that secret. It's that mystery that we've been talking about for the last couple chapters. And here is that mystery once again. The same one. Uh, 
we, we've understood what that mystery is. This mystery that God has brought Israel and the Gentiles together. When formerly there was the division called the law. And you had to believe in the law and come over through being a proselyte and follow the law. These hundreds of uh, rules that you had to follow in order to be an Israelite. And God took that wall of hostility and according to Christ, He abolished it. All right, what that means is that He canceled it. All right, we talked about that last week. And so God has brought these two different groups together so that they are one. Now, how did God entrust this grace, this this uh, this mystery, this secret to Paul. How was it done? Well, it wasn't that he was so smart that he figured it out. All right, um, like we, we've talked about this before with this idea of a mystery, um, and I, I shared with you that I'm a big fan of Sherlock. I, I love the books. Uh, I've watched the movies, the TV shows, and things like that, uh, and I'm always thinking that way. When, when I watch something like that, a good mystery, I'm always wondering, uh, where, you know, how do these pieces fit together? Who's the bad guy? What's going to happen? That's just my idea with a story, too. It uh, happens to me sometimes when I'm talking with someone that I try to jump ahead and see where they're going. Uh, it's kind of a problem that I have. <laughs> All right, But uh, I'm always trying to figure out, wh- how do these things fit together? And it's not like Paul looked at the Old Testament and wasn't like the wise men, Right? Uh, the wise men at Jesus' birth, they had looked at the Old Testament promises. They saw the star and they put the pieces together and knew, oh, this means that the king of the Jews has been born, so we must go, right? And they travel and they find baby Jesus. All right, this isn't like that. All right, this is God's grace. This isn't Paul looking through the Old Testament and looking at Jesus' ministry and putting the pieces together and says, oh, I've cracked the code. I know what it is, uh, what this mystery is. I know the secret, and I'm the only one who knows it. That's, that's not what's happening. How did God give it to him? He says, verse 3, How the mystery was made known to me, Paul, by what? Revelation. Revelation, as I have written briefly. That's how he knew. He knew because God told him. Because somehow, God gave him the knowledge. Not that he was smart enough. Not that he put the pieces together. But that it is God's grace that Paul was given this special piece of information that wasn't told to anyone. But he gave it to Paul. It was revealed. Now, for a moment, let's just think about this as for Paul. Uh, have you ever known something that no one else did? You ever had a secret? I'm not talking about the deep, dark, scary ones. All right, but you ever have a, uh, a secret that you, you knew something that was happening? You knew something fun, uh, like maybe a relative coming and uh, you, were, you were told not to tell anyone, so it's a big surprise when they get there? Right, you, you've ever had that? What is the result that it has for you? What does it do in you? What are the feelings that that you get from that? 
Well, maybe it lifts you up a little bit. Gives you a little bit of pride and a little way of, I know something you don't know. Right? It could have done that for Paul. Paul having this knowledge, and he's going to talk about how no one else had it, but he does. He could have been lifted up and said, man, I know something that Abraham didn't know. I know something that Moses didn't know, that David didn't know, that Isaiah didn't know, that fill in the blank with whoever from the Old Testament they didn't know, but I do. Could have been lifted up with pride. Uh, We see that. We see that even on TV. There are people who claim, and I'll use that word again, claim that they have some secret knowledge from God, a revelation. And what do they do? Give me 1995 and I will tell you. Right? Pride. Wickedness. Paul, he doesn't do that. Instead, he has the reverse reaction. I love it. Because he fully understands that it is not him. That it is God's grace. That God revealed this to him for a reason. And so he is humbled. He says in verse 4, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. You can perceive my insight. You can see my intelligence, is another way of saying that. We're understanding. All right, uh, This is not an estimated guess based on study, but a clear and definite knowledge of what this mystery entails. And he says, it's not known. This mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. So like I said, no one else knew it. They didn't have a clue. All right, all those guys, Abraham, Moses, David, all the most intelligent people in the Old Testament, even John the Baptist didn't fully know. But now, things have changed. All right, the secret, this mystery was made known to who then? He says not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So that's the big difference from the Old Testament and the people not knowing to now the holy apostles. Who are they? Peter, John, Paul, all those guys. Even Matthias, last one in. But the holy apostles, they were given this knowledge. How were they given? By the Spirit. That's how they know. And that's the difference. The difference is in the Old Testament, you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you. You just didn't. The Holy Spirit acted in a different way. We call it a different dispensation. A different way of acting. And in the Old Testament, God moved people by the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit on people. He used the Holy Spirit. But they were not indwelt. God did not live within them. We talked about that. Even even David. You look at the Psalms and you say, truly, this man knew God. And after he sins, what does he do? God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knew there was a risk of it. He saw it with Saul. 
Obeying had the spirit working in his life. Disobeying left a few individuals and cattle and different things alive. All right, and disobeyed God, and the Holy Spirit was taken from him. But now we have the Spirit, and we have power through the Holy Spirit to understand, to know the Word of God. It's interesting. When you, when you look at the Bible, there are things that you can understand without the Holy Spirit. You can understand the Gospel, right? Uh, well, not fully, but you can understand aspects of it until the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Then you understand other things. You can understand deeper things. And here, now that the Holy Spirit is in the apostles' lives, in the prophets' lives, now they understand what this mystery is. This mystery. And he clarifies, just in case they forgot what it is, even though he's explained it uh, three separate times. Uh, he says in verse 6, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the Gentiles and the Jews are equal in the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And they have those things we talked about last week. They have the citizenship, the benefits, and eternal hope. They are members of the same body. This is important. There is no lesser level for the Gentiles. But all are the same body. We start the same. All with sin natures totally depraved and all now have the opportunity, the same opportunity, to come to Christ and become a part of the church. So, they're together, they're the same body, and they're partakers of the promise. Now, some have tried to take this verse and to twist it. All right, um... Uh, covenantal theology that uh, that Israel has replaced the church, or uh, that uh, the church has replaced Israel. Sorry. All right, that idea that uh, God is done with Israel, uh, that He worked uh, in them and through them in the Old Testament, but now all those promises are applied to the church. That's not what this verse is talking about. People have taken this verse and say, oh, they're partakers of the promises. Uh, that means that they get all the stuff that was promised to Israel. No. Uh, partakers of not the promises. There's only one. Partakers of the promise. The promise that he just talked about. And he talked about in chapter 1 too. Sealed until the day of redemption. All right? That future hope that we have of eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's the promise. And we've been granted that. We're partakers of that. Jews and Gentiles, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are placed in the capital C church. You are a partaker of that promise. You have eternal life. You have salvation, the new covenant. All can partake in this promise. How? Through the gospel. This promise is only made possible through the gospel. The truths of Jesus Christ are the only way to access this promise. It's not your uh, nationality. It's not your background. 
It's not what you've done in your life. No. It's the gospel. Only through the gospel can you have uh, this, this promise. Only through the gospel can you be part of the church and have that promise and be one. And he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So Paul, he just loves to give his testimony. He does it all the time. When you look through his writings, he's constantly talking about his testimony. Why? Because it's a good one. All right, you look, you look at his life, how he was, uh, he says, the chief of sinners, how he was uh, like the most um, law-abiding Jew that you could find. Uh, he had a zeal for God, and he pursued it. And in his mind, that meant destroying the church. And so he took people and he hauled them to prison. You guys know what Paul has been through. And so over and over again, uh, he says what he's been through and how God changed him. And he here, yet again, he's doing it again. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. God equipped him. He changed him. He changed him so that he could be equipped for ministry. It was God's divine intervention on that road to Damascus that caused Paul to stop his persecution of the church and of Christ. And instead, one of the things that you look at God and you have to say, yes, he has a sense of humor because he took the most violent person who raged against him. And that's how the Bible actually puts it, that he raged against him. And he takes him, and we know him now as the biggest evangelist and church planter in Christian history. He took that man and he changed him. He equipped him according to God's gift. It wasn't that he deserved it, and no minister does, but uh, Paul was equipped by God in his grace for ministry. So, if God called Paul into ministry and equipped him, then it's not just one man's word regarding this mystery. All right, but it's God's word. It's God's revelation, not Paul's. He says, least of all the saints. And I'll ask you again, I um, hope we get into the habit and routine of this. On the back of your bulletin, uh, you'll find uh, uh, just a few fill-in uh, blanks there to kind of help you keep some of the, the different facts, different things that we're looking at in God's word, so you can keep them and... Um, uh, know uh, later on that you could look back and say, oh, this is what he was talking about. Uh, so here he says that he's least of all the saints. So Paul, instead of being lifted with pride because of his knowledge of the mystery, is humbled by God's grace in giving him the knowledge. I'll say that again. Paul, instead of being lifted with pride because of his knowledge of the mystery, is humbled by God's grace in giving him the knowledge. He says that he is least of all the saints. In other words, he's no better than anyone else. He's not special. He's just a sinner saved by grace. A fellow sinner. He's least of all the saints. This is a theme for Paul. He often writes phrasing uh, like this in his letters. And this should really be the example to us. When we truly understand the gravity 
of how Christ saved us and that he brings us together as one in the church, it's humbling. That it's, you know, like the song said, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's not about Dean. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about Paul. It's not about the secret knowledge that he had. It was about the secret knowledge that God gave him. This grace was given to Paul. Paul views his mission as something like a gift. It's not a burden for Paul. It's his deepest passion. And what is that that passion that he has, that grace that was given to him? To preach. To preach to the Gentiles. That's what God called them to do. To declare His truth to the world. To the nations. That's what Gentile means. To the nations. Paul was sent out by Jesus Christ Himself. One of the requirements of being an apostle was to be sent out by Jesus. And he did that on the road to Damascus and other places as well. He sends him out to the world to preach the gospel. And what is that gospel? Well, in Paul's words here, he uses some beautiful phrasing. He says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. That means not capable of being traced by footprints. This word uh, was often said of in mining, uh, that they would go down into a cave and they would um, you know, first explore it see where it all went, and then they would try to find the precious stones in that cave. The idea of being unsearchable is going down there over and over and over again and never being able to trace the whole cave. Never being able to unearth all the riches in that cave. Unsearchable. And that's Christ. That's Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. He's the cave. Unsearchable is talking of Christ. His treasures, his worth can never be fully understood or grasped. One can only keep going back for more. Unsearchable is talking of Christ. His treasures, his worth can never be fully understood or grasped. One can only keep going back for more. That's our Savior. That's why we get together every Sunday and we talk about Jesus. Because it's never tiresome. You can never grow tired of hearing, oh man, the cross again. Oh man, Jesus, he he did all these things. Oh, I got to hear about Jesus again. No, when you fully understand who he is, you keep on going back for more. He's that cave. You keep going down, trying to explore, see what else can you find out about your Savior? And if you truly know Him, you will keep finding more and more and more. This this mine is inexhaustive. You you aren't going to have to put bars on the front to say, oh, we got everything that we could out of there. No. Because He is an infinite God. And He is unsearchable. The things that He has done, who He is, His character, there is richness there for us. 
And he says, to bring to light for everyone what is the mystery. So he's preaching the, the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, so that he can bring light for everyone what is the mystery. Uh, this has the idea that we talked about a few weeks of flipping the lights on so that everyone can see what's really going on. All right, uh, he says that they were hidden in God. Uh, God knew that he was going, what he was going to do with the church, but he kept it secret to accomplish his will. But now that God has revealed it to Paul and other apostles, he's flipping on the lights. Uh, I've never had a surprise birthday. That's not that's not a, like one of those things. I'm not ticklish, you know, kind of things. I don't want one. All right, but uh, I've never had a surprise birthday. But I've been to surprise birthday parties. Uh, most of the time, what you do is, you know, it's someone's birthday, you're all in their place of living or at a restaurant or something, and you're all hiding, right? Or you're in the dark, and the person opens that door, and then the lights get flipped on, happy birthday, right? You jump out, scare them half to death, all right? It's fun, all right? And that's kind of what's happening here. And the secret, it was in the dark, it was hidden in God, he knew it, no one else did. All right, but it was in the dark. Now Paul here is preaching to the Gentiles. He's flipping on the lights and saying, here it is. Revelation. It's from God. You need to know it. Who needs to know it? He says, to the world. All right, uh, To bring to light for everyone. Not just the Jews. Not just the Gentiles. So that everyone can know what is the mystery. That they can be one. That God is a God who brings people together. Now why? Why does he do this? What was God's point with the mystery? If he kept it in secret for so long, he must have had a point, right? You don't just wait around in the dark for kicks and giggles. You have a point for doing that so you can surprise that person. So what was God's point? So that through the church, this is where it's going to hit home for us today. So that through the church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the purpose of the mystery of the church is that God will do something through that church. Remember, we're talking about how the Jews and Gentiles are now one in the church. We're talking about God's plan, really, for diversity in the church. That we're different. That we have different nationalities. Maybe even some of us in this room, we speak different languages. We have different backgrounds. We are a diverse church. Even, even our church, in our numbers, we, we are a diverse church. What's the point of that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be shown. Manifold. This was a Greek term that referred to the beauty of an embroidered pattern or the variety of colors in a flower. Um, there, there are many reasons why God gave us uh, the New Testament and the Greek language. I think this is one of them. It shows that beauty there. The manifold wisdom of God. Like a flower with the colors. It's all different. It's all unique. 
but it's all the same flower. An embroider and pattern. Different colors, different strands, but it's all one. It's all one picture. For us, we are different. We are different. We, we, like I said, we have different nationalities. We have different backgrounds. You have, you know, pastor from the United States. We're different, but we're one. We're different, but we're the same. We're diverse, but we're united. I think we know where Paul is going. God's purpose for the diversity of the church is to show the diversity, depth, and holiness of the wisdom of God. I'll say it again. God's purpose for the diversity of the church is to show the diversity, depth, and holiness of the wisdom of God. Just as we are all different, yet we're united, God's wisdom is different. It's something other. That's what that word holiness means. It's separate. And you say, how, how does the church show that? Uh, what what does that look like for his wisdom? Well, who else could do this? Who else could bring different peoples from different backgrounds and bring them together and say you are one? That doesn't work. That doesn't work in the world. You can't just gather people together and say, "All right, you're you're one people now, one voice." No. People love their differences. We see it today. As I talked about earlier, people people love to be different and they hate the differences of other people. They hate the other. It's something that is foreign to them. The idea of refugees in the world. People are scared because it's something different. Only God could do this. Only the all-wise God could bring people together as one people, as one congregation, as one body. Another way that he shows this is the idea of who else would think of doing this? Who would think of bringing all the cultures of the world together through the cross? Only the all-wise God. He goes against our sinful natures. Like I said, we hate what we don't understand. We hate the other. And He changes us. Brings us together. And He says for us to love one another. To support one another. To be with one another. You're the same body. You're, your hands, your feet of Christ. In a world that is so divisive and hateful. Uh, like I said, just look at the election down south. Just look about how we talk about First Nations people sometimes. And we have many other things that we as uh, people in Canada need to work on. God says, no. All are one in my church through the gospel. And it shows just how diverse 
our God's wisdom is. It's a beautiful picture. This idea of diversity in the church. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, Maybe it sparks in your mind the Trinity. Different. Different roles. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But they're one God. We're different people. We have different personalities, different backgrounds, different races. But we're one. We're one church. Now, who does he want to show this to? This, this, the, the diversity of the wisdom of God shown in the diversity of the church. Who does he want to show it to? He says, rulers and authorities in heaven. The wording here is two different groups. We have rulers, speaking of earth. All right, people who are in charge around the world. And then authorities in heaven. The idea is everybody. All of the universe. People here on earth. Angelic beings, wherever they may be. God is showing how wise he is through us. That's a hefty responsibility. He says, according to eternal purpose... This was always the purpose. This isn't something new, uh, but it's ancient. It's even eternal. And it's come to fruition where he says, realized in Christ Jesus. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That word realized means to come to fruition. Uh, But it's also a past action. So it's been done. The door of the church is open to all through what Christ did. So based on all of that, on what Christ did, on the purpose of the mystery, what then is our application? What is the take-home of the mystery? He says, verse 12, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. We have boldness. We have freedom. Not just freedom to meet here openly on a Sunday, but we have spiritual freedom. Courage. We need not have any fear when approaching God. Something very different for the Gentiles of the world in the Old Testament. We do not need to fear. For the Greek believers here in Ephesus, this would have been perhaps been a stumbling block. Uh, Because of what Paul's talking about, we too can have boldness when talking to God. We have access to Him. We can have communication with God. We can talk to Him. We can be with Him. We can have communion with Him. Something that the Gentiles of the Old Testament could never have unless they came to Israel. But we, now, because of what Christ did, have boldness. We have access to In confidence. Confide means with faith. We can do it with faith. These words, boldness, access, confidence, it shows that as a believer who has been brought into the church, this is in your notes, these words, boldness, access, confidence, shows that as a believer who has been brought into the church, that one body that shows his diverse wisdom to the universe We have a special place with God. We're special. 
We have boldness. We have access. We have confidence. Because we've been brought into the church. We're His now. He is our Father. He knows us. We are His. We are His especially loved. And based on that, based on that relationship, we can have confidence through faith. Because of our faith in Christ, we have all these things. So if we have access and boldness, what should we do with it? Well, for Paul, again, he's in prison in Rome. So he asks them, verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, don't lose heart. Don't give up on me, Ephesus. He's praying to be delivered, but he's also undergoing incredible trials. Hurts, pains. He's saying, don't forget about me. Over what I am suffering for you. It's not the Ephesians' fault that he's in jail, but again, if Paul had been a faithful steward of that gift of God's grace to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, like in Ephesus, then the Jews wouldn't have wanted to kill him if, they, if he didn't do that. Then he wouldn't be in this situation. So it's on their behalf. But this is the Lord's will in Paul's life. For the sake of those Gentiles who heard the gospel and were brought into the church. And that's the glory that he's talking about. I'm, I'm here for the, the good of the Gentiles. I'm suffering for the good of the Gentiles so that they can hear the gospel. So for us, the take home. Let's celebrate our diversity in this church. Let's pursue diversity. This isn't just something that is uh, something that we have to get over. People look at that. Uh, I, I spent a good chunk of time down in North Carolina in the Bible Belt, and I saw, uh, you know, I lived in High Point. I worked with mostly African Americans. Yet I go to church and there's none there. What's going on? Well, they they go to this church. This is white church. That's a black church. That's how it was described to me. That's not the way it should be. It's not just uh, something that we have to get over. That yes, we have differences and that's okay, and we can move on over them. No, it's good. It's a good thing. It's the will of God. To be diverse. So that we can show the world. The richness of his diversity. Of his depth. Of of his holiness. Of his wisdom. So let's pursue diversity. To show his wisdom. Knowing that it shows the manifold wisdom of God. This requires us being humble. Just like Paul. Yes, God saved us and made known the mystery of the church to us, but if anything, this should be humbling for us. Let's be bold then in our prayers for one another and our church because we are God's church. He is listening and he does care. Let us not lose heart over what we are suffering even through this week. We never know what the outcome of that suffering may be. For Paul, his suffering meant that the gospel spread to the world. And that God would be glorified through showing his diversity in the church. What is God going to do through our suffering? 
Let us be bold with confidence because we have access through the Spirit. Let's celebrate our diversity. Let's pursue it because we have a diverse and holy God. Let's pray. God in heaven, we do worship you this morning. Because you are wise. Because you are more intelligent, more knowledgeable than anyone. All knowledge, all wisdom belong to you. And Lord, we thank you that you have made us here at Fairmont Baptist a diverse church. Lord, help us to never not be that. Lord, it is one of the purposes of the church is to be diverse. So we could show your wisdom. To show how different it is than the world's. Lord, we thank you that you are the only one who could bring us together. That no man, no king, no president, no prime minister can bring a people group together and unite them in such a way that their differences, their nationalities, their race, their their backgrounds, it doesn't matter. Lord, because of what Christ did on the cross, our belief in Him, that's what we are based on. That's what our justification is. Lord, if there are those in this room who have never trusted in Christ, who are not a part of the church, the capital C church, the universal church, all those who believe in Jesus Christ that show that diversity, Lord, I pray that they would repent even today, that they would seek me out or someone out, and that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who are saved, Lord, who are a part of the church, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for disliking, even hating differences that we see in people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue diversity in this church. Lord, there are so many different peoples in the Uh, in the city of Saskatoon, help us to reach them all with the gospel. Lord, help us to be humble. We have the gospel. We've been entrusted with that special revelation. Lord, help us not to be lifted up with pride because of it. Lord, but when we help us to truly understand what that means, we're stewards. We've been entrusted with the special gift. Humble us, Lord. Lord, even through this week, as we uh, leave this building later on and we live out our lives, we go to work, we uh, be with our families, wherever we find ourselves this week, things that we go through, that we would understand that you have a purpose for it. Just as you did for Paul to preach the gospel. Lord, help us to take advantage of the situations you put us in, of the opportunities that you give us. Lord, We worship you for your wisdom because it is diverse, because it is deep, because it is holy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.